the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Continuing to reflect on the tragedy in Highland Park from this weekend. And then a well-known prosperity gospel pastor reverses course. And then we're joined by Sarah Zylstra to talk about her new Gospel Coalition article, Transformation of a Transgender Teen. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this 4th of July week. It's no longer a weekend. Now I like to refer to it as a week. I was gone for the beginning of the week, and now my co-host, Aubrey Sampson, is gone for the back half of the week. And so grateful for Catherine McNeil sitting in over the last couple days, and now Aubrey is getting some time to herself. We'll be back together on Monday. But until then, uh, we've got some great shows planned for you later on today. Uh, Sarah Zylstra from the Gospel Coalition is going to join us. She wrote a uh, fascinating article uh, within the last couple of days that had to do with uh, sexuality, transgenderism, and particularly what's going on in schools with our kids. You read this article and you go, whoa, uh, that's a lot to handle. And so reached out to Sarah and she's going to jump on and join us later on in the day. We're excited to talk about that difficult topic with Sarah, but uh, a really important one. As I said, I was away for the last couple of days enjoying some family time uh, over the 4th of July weekend. You know, on the 4th of July, eat a hot dog, get out on a boat, on a lake, whatever else, fireworks. Uh, There's a lot of Americana, and I was up outside the Wisconsin Dells, and the Wisconsin Dells feels like uh, in in good and bad ways, the uh, the picture of Americana sometimes. It's it's quite the wild place, but we had a great time getting away as a family. We're trying to get in all the family time we can as we get ready to send our oldest daughter off to college here in another month and a half, which we are, are thrilled and excited for. But man, it does feel like you're like, okay, got to get some stuff done. Got to do this. We got one more family vacation to go this summer. Uh, but looking forward to just having family time and being together. Hope that you had a great 4th of July weekend. Well, as everybody knows, especially in the Chicagoland area, the 4th of July was marred, uh, and that feels like way too uh, sanitized of a word there, uh, by the horrific yet another shooting, mass shooting, this time uh, locally here in the suburb of Highland Park. And obviously, you know the story, but as the word started trickling in that in the midst of a 4th of July parade, uh, a a shooter just uh, indiscriminately began firing on people who were just there to uh, enjoy and experience what is uh, quintessential America. Sitting at a 4th of July parade in your town with your kids, say, you know, waving to people, seeing the local football team or the politicians or whatever else it might be. And instead, uh, it all gets just taken apart, blown up by 
by a crazy shooter in uh, I, I was I was wanted to reflect upon it. I know it's been a couple of days now, but I, as I said, I haven't been here. And so I wanted to reflect upon what happened in Highland Park and what's going on more nationally. And uh, but I want to start by saying don't don't move beyond the human stories and the toll of what happened. Do not jump to. We got to debate guns. We got to debate this. We got to debate that. I understand why those things are important, but we cannot lose uh, the faces of this. We cannot lose the humanity of what happened. People just watching a parade on the 4th of July, something I'm sure all of us have done in our lives. Some of us did it this weekend and shots ring out, and lives are lost, and lives are changed forever. And the story that is rightfully getting a lot of attention right now uh, is the story of Aiden McCarthy. Aiden McCarthy, when uh, when it first happened, when the shooting first happened, there started to be reports online that there was a two-year-old who had been separated from his parents, and there were pictures of him. Uh, somebody helped reunite this two-year-old with his family. And then word came out that his parents, uh, 37-year-old Kevin McCarthy and uh, 35-year-old uh, Arena, I think I'm saying her name correctly, I-R-I-N-A, uh, that they were among the seven people who were killed when the fire, when the when the gunfire began. Again, there were seven people killed and nearly 40 people injured. And Aiden was protected by his dad, Kevin, even as... Uh, His dad was shot and lay dying. Aiden was reunited with his grandparents and at the age of two is still obviously asking for his parents. And when I heard that story, uh, it was almost too much, right? Like we tried to say, well, here's how you can understand these things that's going on. Here's how you can whatever else it might be. But when you hear the story of young parents of a young child excited to take their child to a parade and him them losing their life and his this two-year-old losing his parents forever uh, it is overwhelming to even consider and of course humanity steps up there's a gofundme page right now that was started uh for this child and it is over two million dollars at the moment uh but but it's just so horrifically sad they said that the boy keeps asking, uh, where are mommy and daddy? When are they coming to get me? And 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 what do you do with that story? There's another story of a of a woman who died. I think she was in her 60s and she was running with her daughter who was, you know, in her 20s or 30s. And they were holding hands and the mom got shot. And, and the girl had to say bye. The woman had to say bye to her mom, but keep running because gunfire was coming. And let me just say two things as I reflect upon what happened at Highland Park. The first is this. uh, Guns are a problem. And that sounds like the most basic comment. But for some reason, we as a nation can't just get our arms around this. And I don't even know what getting our arms around it means. And I don't even know what sensible gun legislation is. I don't even know how you deal with the problem. But we need people who are going to take a serious look at this. Stop politicizing these things on both sides of the aisle and say, okay, let's figure this out because we've, it's just getting worse. There's a shooting at a fireworks show in Philadelphia and 
uh, on the 4th of July as well. And you just stop being surprised by these things. Uvalde, Buffalo, Highland Park, and the list goes on and on and on. But more than that, I want to say this. As a pastor, as a Christ follower, I think moments like these cause us to go, where is God? Where is God in the midst of a 4th of July parade when a shooting begins amongst the evil. This is pure evil. Where is God in the midst of this pure evil? And and I don't want to sound cliche, but this is the truth. God was right there. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. God says that he is near to the brokenhearted. We know uh, that ultimately through Jesus Christ, we have victory over sin and death and mass shootings and w- mass shootings and cancer and whatever else it might be. But that, that that victory is not fully yet realized and that there is still evil running rampant in our world today. Uh, and we have then have a choice. It is to hang on to our faith, to run to God, to trust that he is good, to hang on to the victory that we have in Christ or to abandon it, <clears throat> excuse me, altogether. And when we are faced with evil like this, like we saw on the 4th of July in Highland Park, right here in our area, we say, God, um, we, we, we go before him in prayer. Uh, we, we say, come, Lord Jesus. We say, please, Lord, provide peace. Provide for this young boy. Provide, be there for him. And we cry out in prayer and we trust our Savior that he is good, that he is present, and that ultimately he is victorious. Friends, it is such a tragedy that on the 4th of July something like this could happen. Happening at schools, at churches, at grocery stores, at parades. Uh, When will it stop? But the good news is that there is coming a day where there will be no more gunfire, there will be no more death, and we can, we can trust God with that, and we can go to him, uh, and we can trust him. A hard story, a tragic story, one that is happening all too often, and we hope and pray will not continue to happen. If you want to give to that GoFundMe page, I'd con- encourage you to Google the name Aiden McCarthy, and you will see a GoFundMe page that has been set up that is now in the millions. Uh, good, it's some good coming out of just a absolutely horrific situation. I saw something on Twitter as we continue to reflect upon the mass shooting in Highland Park that happened this weekend. Uh, the, uh, the shooting that happened at a fireworks display in Philadelphia. We're still reeling as a nation from the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, and at the grocery store in Buffalo. Like You, you almost lose track of all the shootings that have gone on. But uh, as we think about this, I hesitated to even bring this up, but I I think it's something we need to confront as a people and as Christians, uh, and that is politicians and what they say and the influence that they have and the danger of what they say. And so at first I I teased this as saying another politician said something dumb, but this is beyond dumb. This is dangerous. Uh, This is evil. And uh, if I insult you with that because you like this person, I don't care. Because what was said by Marjorie Taylor Greene in, in response to the two uh, July 4th shootings um, is reprehensible. And anybody who signs on to what she says or even acknowledges her uh, as a viable leader, somebody who should be listened to and followed, 
you are part of the problem. And so uh, I want to play this for you. It's 45 seconds. Uh, and then let's respond. This is Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, here's what I have to say. I mean, two shootings on July 4th, one in a rich white neighborhood and the other at a fireworks display. It almost sounds like it's designed to persuade Republicans to go along with more gun control. I mean, after all, remember, we didn't see that happen at all the pride parades in the month of June, but as soon as we hit... MAGA month, as soon as we hit the month that we're all celebrating, loving our country, we have shootings on July 4th. I mean, that's, oh, you know, that would sound like a conspiracy theory, right? Of course. But what's the definition of a right-wing conspiracy theory? Well, by the way, it's the news that's just six months early. So uh, if you couldn't figure out what she's saying there, uh, she's kind of giving a wink, wink to conspiracy theories that say uh, that uh, these shootings are part of some grander things to push gun control and that they are, in her words, false flags that um, that these are she then jokingly talks about conspiracy theories, that conspiracy theories are just getting the truth right before everybody else. Can I remind you that seven people died in Highland Park in these shootings? Can I remind you that in Uvalde, Texas, a classroom of students, little elementary school students, was wiped out? Can I remind you that in Buffalo, New York, innocent people shopping for groceries were gunned down? Not everything is politics. And not everything is a conspiracy theory by the left or the right trying to get their agenda forward. How about this? What happened in Highland Park was a demented, evil, sick person who got his hands on a powerful weapon. And he got up on a roof and he just started indiscriminately killing people. And the fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is a terrible person. The fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene would go on a podcast or a video that has now been viewed 1.7 million times and suggest that there's some conspiracy theory going on that that some people had to give up their lives so that the Democrats could forward their agenda to take your guns is reprehensible. It is evil and it is stomping on the graves of these people who were killed. And here's what I don't understand. And I will tell you this. I've been very honest about my politics. Uh, I have always in my life uh, voted Republican. It doesn't mean I have voted for every Republican. Sometimes I've chosen to sit them out, right? If I don't think the person is – if I don't feel comfortable voting for a particular person. But the fact that the Republican Party – will not come out in mass and and put this sort of rhetoric down uh, the, pa- the 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 fact that that people that there's not a line of politicians led by the leaders of the party the Kevin McCarthy's of the world uh the Mitch McConnell's of the world whoever else it might be the fact that they're not lining up To not just denounce her, but that this doesn't become the end of her political career 
is embarrassing. And again, I want the Republican Party to flourish. It has always been where my vote has lied, but it's getting harder and harder to do it when people like this are being platformed. She's a joke, but she's not a joke because she has sway and she uh, has two million views to this type of video, whatever else it might be. And to to take a tragic event like what we saw happen in Highland Park the other day and to know that real people died. We talked in the in the beginning of the show about uh, about the family, the 37-year-old husband and the 35-year-old wife who died and left a two-year-old orphan. To politicize that is unbelievable. And yet, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene keep winning elections and keep getting a voice. And keep getting platformed. And I guess my my biggest question is why? Like, when does that end? Why does that continue? Why do people listen to her or to other people spout out conspiracy theories about this type of thing and go, oh, this is just about gun control? It, it, It makes me angry. And... There really was a time in our country when even suggesting something like a mass shooting being a false flag would have ended your political career. But in reality, this is going to further her political career. And at what point do we realize that people like this are just out there for themselves, furthering their own agendas? I I don't understand it. And if you're out there and you're like, you know what, I think she's got a point. Or you're kind of buy into these conspiracy theories. I think that you've kind of lost your way and you've got to kind of look in the mirror and ask yourself some hard questions because this is absolute craziness. And I didn't I even hesitated to play it, except that I think it's important for us as the church to confront these types of things and go, no, like this isn't okay. These types of things are not okay, and that they are hurtful. To people who have been most impacted by these types of stories, these types of tragedies in Highland Park, in Uvalde, uh, in Buffalo, and wherever else it might be. So uh, evil, reprehensible, and I, I pray for the day when these are not our politicians that we have to choose and think about, but that instead when we again have honorable people um, – in office kind of leading this country. So needed to get that off my chest. The issue of priorities in life, that could become a difficult one, especially um, when you've got a job and you've got responsibilities. A lot of time, uh, and we will say this often, that uh, the urgent will crowd out the important. It's we call it the the tyranny of the urgent that the things right in front of you that have to get done or or that are at the top of the to do list can push down those things that ultimately are the most important. And where that gets many of us is in parenting and marriage. So um, I you know I have all these dreams of things that I want to do with my kids, things I want to impart upon my kids, things that I want to experience with my kids. But I also have two jobs, right? I'm a pastor of a church, Four Corners Community Church in Darien. I also host this radio show, and so there are urgent things with those jobs, and then just with life, right? Paying the mortgage and paying your bills and mowing the lawn and whatever else. But what can end up happening is. 
uh, hours become days, days become weeks, weeks become months, months become years. And those things that you always wanted to do, you end up putting on the back burner. And then your kids who once were little now are older. And that's all cats in the cradle, right? You end up going, where did time go? What did I miss? We do this with our marriages, right? It feels like I got married yesterday, but now it's been 22 years and you could just get into these ruts of, oh, there'll come a day when I will focus on my marriage. But right now I've got to focus on my career, my kids, my whatever else it might be. And somehow we have to figure out just as people how to live for the things that are most important while still not ignoring the things that are urgent, right? I can't just go, oh, I need to do uh, I need to be with my kids, so I'm not going to work today. I'm not going to do my job. Um, but we've got to get that balance. I'm not sure I like this phrase, but oftentimes in our culture, we call it that work-life balance. We've got to get that right. What are the most important things? And I wanted to play a clip. Uh, Peter King interviewed uh, Bruce Arians. So Bruce Arians is the former coach. Uh, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bruce Arians, uh, they won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. He's been a coach for years and years and years. If you know anything about NFL coaches, football coaches in particular, uh, what they are known for is working 100-hour weeks, sleeping at the office, not not having good work-life balance. Let's put it that way. If you ever read stories about coaches, it is unbelievable. And so Bruce Arians had something interesting to say, and part of it, if you listen, this this is a short minute clip, uh, part of it is out of um, regret from how he handled early on in his career. So listen to what Coach Bruce Arians has to say here. If you miss a football game, a recital, anything to do with your children, I'll fire you. Because I missed a lot of mine, and those years don't come back. There's plenty of time to, in this office to work. And you can come back at midnight if you want to. Don't miss that recital. Don't miss that game. Uh, because it means so much to your children. And it means so much to you. I mean, the games I did get to see my son play, I knew he felt different. And I don't want those guys to ever miss that. Here's what I appreciate about what Arian says here. First of all, he says, if you miss a football game or a kid or anything to do with your or a recital or anything to do with your children, I'm going to fire you. Uh, because he says he missed so much of his kids' stuff when they were younger because he was a football coach, right? He had to coach. He had to be in watching film. He had to be in doing this or that. And now he says, listen, he doesn't say don't do the job. He says come in at midnight. Come in around your kid's schedule. Get your work done. But be at the game. Be at the recital because you can't relive those. Those aren't going to happen again. You get one shot at it as a parent. And you got to uh, lean into it no matter if you're a football coach, if you're a banker, if you're a school teacher, a plumber, whatever, whatever you are. You cannot let the urgent push away the important. And I want to speak here particularly as a dad to the parents out there, to the moms and dads. Please, please think about, am I allowing the urgent of my job, of my goals, of the housework, of whatever else, am I allowing that to make my kids 
realize that they are not as important. Do I have in my mind, like there's, there'll come a day where I will engage them with my kids. And then all of a sudden they're in the teenage years. And we joke about that song all the time on here, but it is that song cats in the cradle. The whole point of that song is that guy ignoring his kid because he had to work, he had to do this and that. And then he gets to the point in life where he wants to connect with his kid and his kid now is the one who has to work and who has all the other busy things going on. But it, but what has to happen um, is that we have to prioritize. I have to look at my own schedule and say, okay, where am I um, choosing my kids? Where am I choosing my wife? And where am I putting in the time to get my work done and to do other stuff? This requires intentionality. This requires planning. But friends, can I implore you out there, the dad listening in the car right now, the mom listening wherever, can I implore you that you will never regret making time for your children? You will never regret for those 18, 20 years that they're under your roof in all those different stages. You'll never regret coaching their team. You'll never regret going to that dance recital. You'll never regret uh, bailing out of work early to see their game. You'll never regret going to the pool. You'll never regret getting home in time for dinner to sit around the table. That will ne- You will never. I, I, I don't think this is even disagreeable. I don't, think any, I don't think it's possible to get to the end of your life and go, you know what? I was too engaged with my children. I was too... Uh, present when they were younger. I wish I had worked more. So don't get me wrong. You've got to work hard. You got to provide for your family, but that can't always trump uh, being there, being present for your spouse, for your children, for those major moments in their, in their lives. Those moments are not coming back, right? That dance recital, as Arian says there, that football game, that whatever else it might be, they're not coming back. And, and it's just tragic if we were to miss them in the name of working another hour, you know, billing another client, whatever else it might be. Be a dad, be a mom, be a spouse, be present and find that work-life balance. But in your work-life balance, um, air towards your family, air towards your family. And if that causes you not to be able to advance as far as you dreamt in your job, that's okay. That's okay. And then uh, as Christians, let's also say this, prioritize your faith. Prioritize. uh, Don't allow the urgent to push away reading your Bible, being in community, going to church, and whatever else it might be. So think to yourself, what are the important things? How do I protect them from being pushed down by what's urgent. Because we all have urgent things in our lives. There's no doubt about it. That's that's just part of life. Uh, but how do we make sure those don't consume us? Uh, a famous prosperity preacher, prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel basically says this. Um, if you give this money, God will give you back more. Uh, That's a very, very simple way of thinking about the prosperity gospel. 
uh, that it's not about sacrifice, right? But we give in order to get back. And one of the most famous, so you think of people like Benny Hinn and others, but one of the more famous ones, you would see him on television all the time, uh, you know, thousands of people following him, more than thousands. Uh, and I thought he had the best name for a prosperity gospel preacher named Creflo Dollar. Creflo Dollar was one of the most, uh, I'll say this a little tongue in cheek, prosperous prosperity gospel preachers. And Creflo Dollar, something really interesting happened the other day. Creflo Dollar, he reversed course on his theology uh, that you could say has misled millions of people internationally for decades. So uh, let's listen. This is about two minutes. This is what Creflo Dollar had to say recently. I want to start off by saying to you that I'm still growing and that the teachings that I've shared in times past on the subject of tithing were not correct. And today I stand in, in humility to correct some things that I've taught for years and believed for years, but could never under, understand it clearly because I had not yet been confronted with the gospel of grace, which has made the difference. I won't apologize because if it wasn't for me going down that route, I would have never ended up where I am right now. But I will say that I have no shame at all at saying to you, throw away every book, every tape, and every video I ever did on the subject of tithing unless it lines up with this. I've, I've done some corrective teaching in the, in, the, in the last 10 years, but not to the degree of what we're getting ready to do now. So why is this important? Because religion is sustained by two factors, fear and guilt. And if it's one subject that the church has used for a long time, to keep people in fear and guilt, it is in that subject of tithing. And it has to be corrected, and it's got to be corrected now. I may lose some friends. Preachers may not ever invite me no more, but I think I've already been through that, so it doesn't matter. He is basically telling people, his followers, to destroy every book and tape he has ever written and preached on tithing because it's not biblical. Uh, Anthony Bradley, he's a professor at the King's College. He's the Twitter account where I first saw this. Uh, he says this, a church's theology should never be dependent on the thoughts of the pastor. You can't beat creedal confessionalism that, quote, requires creedal assent in order to be ordained. Um, you know, I, I think that what is fascinating here is a... Let's just cheer and say that God did a work in the life of Creflo Dollar. Let's just say that God did a work and said, hey, uh, he, he transformed him. He laid it upon his heart that his theology was errant and it was dangerous. And I want to celebrate that after all these years, Creflo Dollar was able to look at what he taught, what he wrote, what he preached and said, I've led people astray. A lot of people. 
And Creflo Dollar made a lot of money through this and other people as well. And he has said, no, this wasn't okay. I was wrong. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he believed what he believed. And then now he is repenting of that and changing course. Now, here's what else I want to say. Anthony Bradley is so right that a church's theology can't be dependent on the thoughts of the pastor. Why? Because pastors are not infallible. Pastors change their minds. Pastors change their theology. I think of many of us listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill about Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll now rejects much of what he was the proponent of in terms of Reformed theology and Calvinism. Uh, he was the poster child for uh, the young Reformed movement in the you know right around 2010, and now he said, "I don't believe that anymore." You cannot place your theology basically on a pastor, on a theologian, on a single person, because as people, our theologies change. I remember hearing a story when I was in college of a Baptist church who had a beloved pastor, and that beloved pastor went through uh, a big transformation and decided that he was Greek Orthodox, and so he changed his church to Greek Orthodox. You're like, well, how is that possible? Because all that mattered was uh, what that pastor believed and what that pastor taught. Pastors should be able to get up and say, hey, I was wrong. I've studied more. I've prayed more. I've thought more. I've talked to more people. And I think I actually got this part incorrect. I think that speaks a lot. And then I'd also say this. If you are a proponent of the prosperity gospel, it is not the gospel. Think about how astray it is to believe that um, that believing in Jesus is some sort of investment scheme to bring you more money, to bring you greater prosperity, when in reality, the one that we followed emptied himself and ended up dying a death on a cross. You know, our, our faith is about inheritance and it is about prosperity, but that is to come in our eternal home. But we've been told in this world, you will have trouble. And when we preach a gospel only of prosperity, and then those troubles hit, we are leading people astray. And so please have a, um, have a much more accurate view of what the gospel itself says. That that in this world, you will have trouble, but Jesus, he has, he has won the victory. He has gone before us and that we, can trust him and know that he is good. So Creflo Dollar reverses course on errant theology that misled millions of people for decades. I want to say praise God for that. I want to say that's a work of the Holy Spirit. There might be people out there who are taking more of a um, cynical view of this. I'm choosing not to do that here on a beautiful summer day. And uh, let's have an accurate view of the gospel, not the prosperity gospel, but of the gospel itself. I am thrilled to be joined by one of the friends of our show, someone who's been on many times. She's senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition. Her name is Sarah Zylstra. Sarah, how are you doing today? 
I'm doing awesome. How are you? I'm doing really well. And uh, I emailed you yesterday because you wrote an article at the Gospel Coalition uh, that I saw retweeted by more than a couple people on my Twitter timeline. Uh, It was entitled this, Transformation of a Transgender Teen. So you're jumping in. Like, uh, this is something that's on a lot of people's minds and uh, very, quote unquote, hot button topic right now. Uh, let's start there. Why'd you dive in here? Why, why even go and write this article? You know, um, what I was originally intending to do was we were just thinking more and more pastors are coming across this and TGC exists to help the local church. And so we thought it would be good if I talked to a couple pastors about teens or people who are, who are transitioning that they had walked with and sort of be able to offer some good biblical, solid biblical advice. Like how does a pastor walk with someone through this? And what we found is, um, not a lot of pastors have a lot of experience with this. A lot of pastors have like one or two people they've talked to. Um, but not a lot of pastors have done a whole bunch. It's still too young for that. And I also found that a lot of people who are transitioning, um, maybe not surprisingly don't run to the church first. And so a lot of times pastors are walking with families instead. And then as I was talking to one, pastor, he was telling me about a girl in his church, um, who had transitioned to being a boy and then had transitioned back. Mm. And I asked to talk to her and then that's how I found this story. Yeah. And I mean, the story is you do start the article. I'd encourage people to go to the gospel coalition and check it out. You, you go to it's as a parent, it's a scary story, right? Like it was a, a very church going family, didn't see it coming. But a lot of what your article <clears throat> centers on is what what's kind of going on in public schools right now. And I've tried to be somebody who's like, listen, like, let's not be crazy about what's going on. But then the more you hear, the more you're like, uh, like, this is a little bit scary. So what are some of the things you kind of started to find out about? the trajectory of some of our public schools right now. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to just blame public schools because I, I know this is also in yeah. homeschooling circles and private schools, but I will say most of the time in those homeschooling and private school circles, this isn't embraced and, and pushed and nurtured the way I think it is in public schools, mm-hmm. um, even formally. And so what happened to this girl was she, um, she was going to a public school, a pretty progressive public school, but you're right. Her family was really rooted. They went to a great church. They loved each other. They had a fa- strong family structure. Um, at, but then, um, she got onto an, an art sharing social media site. And then from there that she fell in with, uh, or I think it's just pretty, it's called deviant art. And I think a lot of what happens on there is, um, Uh, people exploring their sexuality or talking about their sexuality. And so she didn't know what they were talking about when they said transgender, she was 11. And then she asked her mom and her mom explained, Oh, that's not what the Bible says. We don't believe that. And so she went back to the social media site and told the kids on there this, I don't believe that. Mm. And her mom was afraid she was going to get bullied. But instead what happened was at her public school, she got invited to the, what used to be called the gay straight Alliance and is now called genders and sexuality. Alliance. I think Mm. that's what it's called. Um, and so they invited her to come with them and they, they would meet at lunchtime unsupervised kids from sixth grade to 12th grade. So she's 11 and she's meeting with kids as old as 18 and they would talk about sex and their bodies unsupervised for an hour at lunchtime and you, and how they felt uncomfortable about their bodies and all the different things you can think about sex and all the different things you can think about gender. Um, 
And so that's sort of, uh, how that started for her. She, her mom said, you know, they asked, you have to get permission from the parents to join French club and join, Mm. you know, flute club or whatever, but there is no, there is no way that you can, um, they don't tell you if your kid joins this club. And then, and they also, I read, um, they don't keep roles on purpose so that if your mom calls and says, is my daughter in this club, they can say, I don't know, maybe Mm. she is, maybe she's not, we don't keep track. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about our role as parents and stuff, but help us, uh, you know, people should go read the article, but how's her story end? Like how, what, what's kind of the progress of her life? Yeah, this is so fascinating to me because her mom read a book on cults, Brian, and that's how she knew how to get her out of this. So she said, everything I was reading in this book about pulling people out of a cult was the same thing I was seeing in this transgender movement. So, Mm. so when her daughter was, took a break for the summer, she was much less militant about it. And she said the second she went back for eighth grade, she was just as militant as like, it was like a change in a day. And she was like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, also the way that they really turned her against her parents. If your parents don't affirm you, if they don't use your pronouns, if they don't get your hormone treatment, then they hate you and we love you, but come, so come and be with us. But you know, so just that those kind of things were triggering in her mom thinking, I, this sounds familiar to me. She had a background in psychology. Wow. So she read, a, I know. So she read this book on cults. And then she, using those strategies, were able to separate her daughter physically. They pulled her out of school, um, build up the relationships around her. She started homeschooling her, which meant they could she could work on her relationship with her daughter. And then to ask questions, um, which didn't come from the parents, even though they were asking her questions, that none of those registered until this um, girl who I call Grace went to um, her homeschool co-op, her conservative homeschool co-op, and the kids there started asking her questions she couldn't answer. Mm. Um, and then, and all along, also her parents are just praying and praying and praying over her. Um, and so eventually, God worked in her in her spirit and in her yeah. mind enough to to pull her back to her original yeah. body. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating about cult. That's, I never yeah. really thought about it, but it makes sense. Um, so the $64,000 questionnaire, and you touched on some of it is, what do parents do? Because I, I don't feel old, but I also know that what the, the, what my kids are growing up on in is very different from what I grew up <laughs> in. Uh, and I think a lot of parents are really kind of scared out there. So what, what's a word of advice? What What should we as parents be doing right now? So the mom of this girl said to me, I would just tell everybody to get out of public school if you could. No, mm. I'm not saying that. I don't, I don't know that God calls us all to get out of public school. I, I do think the pressures there are stronger. And so I just think to be aware of your own local public school situation, um, there may be things happening there that you don't know. Mm. This girl also began using the boys restroom. And when her mom called to say, I don't want my, you know, at that point, I think she was 13 year old daughter in with high school boys in the bathroom. And the school said, sorry, that's our policy. So there's just things that you need to maybe be aware of. Um, and, and also if your child has, has said something to you, like maybe they're not comfortable in their body or they want to transition to something else. Um, take that seriously. Um, Um, that's not, you know, maybe they'll grow out of it, but the odds are, if you keep them in the same place, that's a trajectory that they're on. They're getting a lot of affirmation for doing that. And so there's really nothing, unless you make it uncomfortable for them, there's really nothing that's going to, you know, bump them back off of that path. Yeah. That's really helpful. Um, churches. So I'm Mm -hmm. a 
parent, but I'm also a pastor. And I think part of what you see people responding to your article is, man, the church has kind of dropped the ball here. The church needs to step in. What does that look like right now, in your opinion, for the church to step in, whether it be in teaching or advocate, whatever else it might be? Yeah. Um, First of all, uh, don't stop telling the truth. That's just one thing that came out over and over again is even if it's uncomfortable, someone has to be saying the truth. And at this point, the church is the only institution in society that is, that can mm-hmm. even do it. And so keep saying we, you were, you were born like that. God doesn't mess up. You were, you're a boy, you're a boy, mm-hmm. you're, or whoever, you know, whatever the body that you were born in, that's the body you'll be resurrected in. Um, there are some resources. There's some resources that, um, Um, in links in this article, there are more and more resources. I think, um, for churches to pay attention, to pray, um, I think it's easy for us because this is new and we're not quite sure what to do. It's easy to just be like, oh, there's nothing I can do about that and, and kind of set it aside. Or it's even uncomfortable to think about because there's like, I can't do anything. Um, but we can always pray with the parents. Mm. Um, we can offer um, reassurance, like you're on the right path. Even if the, I can't do anything to change your child's mind, I can offer to meet with her if she'll come. I can um, pray. I can meet regularly with you just so you don't feel alone. Um, and I can keep saying to you, you're right. This is how we think about this theologically. Um, this is, this is what is true. And this is what is a lie. Yeah. Again, the article is called, uh, transformation of a transgender teen. You can find it at the Gospel Coalition. It's really long and really well reported. Uh, and it's powerful, Sarah. I'm, I'm grateful that you wrote about it. And I'm not surprised that a lot of people are talking about it. And, uh, and so we're grateful for you spending some time. Thanks for spending some time with us today, Sarah. Thanks for having me. As we say, we always like to end the show either with a laugh or with some inspiration, uh, whatever else it might be. And I, w- I want to go for inspiration today. I want to challenge us and inspire us from a place that you may not expect to uh, that you were going to hear from today. And that's the world of women's college basketball. So the coach of Duke university, she's one of the most famous college uh, women's players, pro or college ever. Her name is Carol Lawson. She played at the university of Tennessee and in the WNBA team USA, all of that stuff. She is now the coach of Duke university and she was giving a, a talk to her team about the idea of always wanting things to be easier. You know, I have that proclivity in my life. Like, I just wish things would be easier. I can't wait till things get easier. And she's got a real interesting take on this. This is about two and a half minutes. Give it a listen. This is Duke University women's basketball coach, Kara Lawson. I I was talking with with Shay a couple days ago, and one of the things we talked about was um, how – we all wait in life for things to get easier. Think in your own life if you've waited for something to get easier. Oh, I just got to get through this and then it'll be easy. I just got to get through preseason and then it'll be okay. I've just got to get through my junior year of high school and then the classes are going to get easier. Or I've just got to get to my spring and my senior year of college and it's going to be easier. It's what we do. We wait for stuff to get easier. It will never get easier. What happens is you handle hard better. That's what happens. Most people think that it's going to get easier. Life is going to get easier. Basketball is going to get easier. School's going to get easier. It never gets easier. What happens is you become someone that handles hard stuff better. So that's a mental shift that has to occur in each of your brains. 
It has to. Because if you go around waiting for stuff to get easier in life, it's never going to happen. And then what happens? Oh, it's so hard. Oh, I can't do it. Oh, this, I don't know. When, it, when is it going to be easy for me? Oh, it's easy for other people. It's not. It's hard. And the second we see you handling stuff, handling hard better, what are we going to do? We're going to make it harder. We're going to make it harder. Because we're preparing for you for when you leave here. Not just basketball and life. And if you think life, when you leave college, is going to be all of a sudden get easy because you graduated and you got a Duke degree, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. So make yourself a person that handles hard well. Not someone that's waiting for the easy. Because if you have a meaningful pursuit in life, it will never be easy. If you're trying to win a championship, if you're trying to have a family, ask your parents. Do you think it was ever easy for them to raise kids? Karen, is it easy? It's not. Any meaningful pursuit in life, if you want to be successful at it, it goes, it goes to the people that handle hard well. Those are the people that get the stuff they want. People that wait around for easy, you probably see them at the bus stop. They're waiting for easy, the easy bus to come around. Easy bus never comes around. You've got to handle hard. Okay, so don't get discouraged through this time. If it's hard, don't get discouraged. It's supposed to be. And don't wait for it to be easy. Oh, I just got to get through the summer. And then it'll all of a sudden get easy in the fall. No, it won't. It won't. It won't get easy in the fall. So make yourself someone that handles hard well. And then whatever comes at you, you're going to be great. You're going to be great. Okay? So her point is this. Things are not going to get easier. But what happens is we learn to handle hard better. We learn to handle hard better. If you're out there just hoping that things will get easier. Oh, if I could just get through this difficult season of life. If I just get that job, just when I get through that test, when I, when I finally retire, everything's going to be easier. I think she makes a fascinating point. Things don't get easier. They change. Things get different. But we are not promised easier. But her, her point is what growth looks like is that we learn to handle hard better. We learn to handle hard better. That's what it means to grow as an adult. That's what it means to grow through life experiences. And she as a coach is trying to tell her team, don't just wait for it to be easier. You got to work. Things get hard. But we as a team need to handle hard better. Uh, as churches, are we just waiting for easier, for smoother waters? Might never come. But what does it look like to handle hard better? As a parent, as a spouse, what's it look like to handle hard better? Just as a Christian going through life, what does that look like? Friends, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And so the question is, how do we handle trouble better? How do we handle hard better? Uh, and the Bible gives us some things to do. The first is to acknowledge in this world, we will have trouble, but that Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Jesus is our victory. Jesus is our hope and our strength. And we can hold on to that. Handle hard 
better, we can hold on to the fact that Jesus says, I will be with you always. But then we can go to the book of Philippians where Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Isn't that how a lot of times we handle difficult things, anxiety? He says, uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do we handle the hard things of life better as Christians? We pray, we take them to the throne room of God. We lay them at his feet and we receive the peace that passes all understanding. How do we handle hard better as Christians? We don't run away from God. We run to God. Friends, one of the idols of our culture is comfort. And I think that's what Kara Lawson is speaking to here. We're always looking for easier. We always want more comfortable. We always want things to be simpler. And her point and the point throughout scripture is that that is never promised there, that, that there will be trouble, but what are you going to do when trouble hits? The Bible says, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Do you need rest today? Is life really hard? Do you need rest today? The answer is come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Handle hard better. As Christians, that is done as we take our request to God, as we take our burdens to God, and we lay them at his feet. And we are made, we're made many promises as we do that. Grateful for that message. Handle hard better. Well, glad you were with us today. Again, if you missed any of today's show or any of our past shows, go get the podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, just subscribe, rate, review. And I'm excited to be with back with you tomorrow. I'll be flying solo again. And then Aubrey will be back with us on Monday. Hope that you have a great evening. Again, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.